Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to 2019. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Real Football Cast. I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes or so I'm going to be doing something a little different. The turn of the year is always a period for reflection, resolutions and looking ahead and it's no different in football. Festive period is undoubtedly an arduous one as there's so much Premier League action to chew through, something that I'll be doing next week, but today I thought it was the perfect opportunity in which to go through the Premier League New Year's wish list. Quite simply, I'm going to run through the Premier League table after week 21 and give you an idea of each team's individual hopes and dreams for the next four months. This helpful guide will explain just what Liverpool, Huddersfield and every team in between will be hoping for between now and the end of the season. Before I do that, I'd best do some social media bits first. If you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTrace1983. Anything show-related, send it my way. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, then don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, then you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. What is Loserpool? I hear you ask. It's a game that sees betting turned on its head, with a focus being on the loser. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account, especially as there is a new prize pool which guarantees the winner £1,000, something you will not want to miss out on. The odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. So with that in mind, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Well, of course, we'll go to Liverpool because they are top of the table. Now, it's fair to say that it looks like there's a genuine title race on this season as Jurgen Klopp's men find themselves top of the tree. The aim now for the red half of Merseyside is to make sure they stay there until we reach May. And although they may not be invincible after that defeat to Man City on Thursday night, they are still four points clear at the top of the standings. A margin that you would probably have jumped unlikely at this stage of the proceedings. I mean, if we're being brutally honest, not many people would have had Liverpool four points clear at this stage of the season, especially after going to the Etihad. But we are where we are. And like I say, it's I guess it's been blown wide open, to use a dramatic phrase, the title race. It could have been... 10 points, had Liverpool won. I'm going to go into the game and how it was won in the, the next episode on Tuesday, so keep your ear out for that. Um, like I say, there's just too much football to, to uh, wade through this week, so where do you even start? Best place, I'm not going to start. I'm just going to do this instead. So, um, yes, as for Liverpool, I mean, they certainly recruited well in the summer. The likes of Naby Keita and Fabinho are now sort of starting to settle into Liverpool's midfield, so much so that this looks like a squad that might just have City's number once and for all. Um, a statement which... Perhaps sounds a little futile after um, City's win on Thursday night, but you know you've got to take into account that that's the first defeat that Liverpool suffered this season. 
City have had their blip, but does that win kickstart their their season? Um, more of that in a minute. But yeah, I mean Liverpool, they just they've recruited well. You almost have forgotten about their Champions League disappointment last season. They they're getting stronger, which is scary. Whether they feel that they can compete and go all the way in the Champions League, I don't know. It's probably yin and yang. For the same reason I'll, I'll get to with Manchester City in a minute. But um, but yeah, I mean, at least we've got a title race because last season it was it was almost boring by this point, wasn't it? It was a case of just how many points City could win by. Something that is now the question of not just how many points City will win by, it's will they win the Premier League title? Because let's not forget, no Premier League team has defended the, uh, the title since 2009 when Manchester United done it. So it just shows what a war of attrition the uh, the English top flight can be in this in this day and age. I mean, you could argue that it's getting even more difficult to win a title. You look at Arsenal when they won the Invincible season in 2004. I mean, that's taking nothing away from what they did. But was the Premier League as strong back then? I mean, then you could also argue that Arsenal drew 12 out of their 38 matches. And then you think, well, how good is that as an achievement compared to Man City's 100 points? You know, that is an argument that will never really be resolved. Obviously, Arsenal fans will be gunning for their one, pun intended. And City will obviously feel they've got the stronger uh, success. It's subjective. I'll leave that up to you. But what is not subjective is who's going to win the Premier League. One team will do it. And it's either going to be one of Liverpool, Man City, or maybe an outsider that we'll get to in a minute. But as for City, they might ask for their, their wish to be granted a little later in the season. For the simple reason that if Liverpool are gunning for the Premier League title then Pep Guardiola's men might just be looking to conquer Europe instead. City have all the money, you know, all the money you could wish for, and more. And they've spent a lot of it over the last decade, but they're yet to truly join the continent's elite. And something that you only really manage to do, and that only really materialises when you capture a first Champions League title, you know, that's when you're at the top table. Dare I say, you probably even need to win more than one. You know, you look at someone like Porto, 2004. I know they did it under Mourinho, but... Um, they're not at Europe's top table. That was just uh, freak seasons, an unfair term. But, it was, you know, that's never really... Especially in this day and age now, football's moved on so far in 15 years. That's never going to happen again. But City needs to start building a European legacy and they can only really do that once they get the first one out of the way. So, for them, does Pep Guardiola sort of think to himself, and I think this could be yin and yang for Liverpool, if Pep Guardiola thinks to himself, I'm four points behind Liverpool, we can still do this then he may have to decide to compete on both fronts. If that gap was at 10 points, he then might have thought, OK, there's 17 games to go, but it's probably a little too early to wave the white flag. But then realistically, he then has to think, OK, maybe the Champions League is the path of least resistance this season and we can finally get the uh, European trophy that the club has been ple- well, pleading for for the last decade or so. Um, you know, They want to be at the promised land. They could be there this this season. Um, they're currently the bookmakers' favourite to do so, that is, to win the Champions League. Perhaps the only team that will stop them are City themselves. Again, like I say, it all comes down to multiple fronts. If they're in March and that gap has got wider again, then that's the point where Guardiola might think, do you know what, just let it go. Let's be Champions of Europe. Um, for the same reason like Liverpool, they might sort of have to weigh up and think, do you know what, as a club, we've won the European Cup, what, five times? Um, we've not won a Premier League title or an English Championship title win will be 29 years. So then you think, do you know what? What is most important? You know, um, so when we get to I don't know seven eight weeks to go, 
and you look at the points gaps and where teams are in competitions, that is when we'll know who's taking what the most um, in terms of priority and importance. So just I think the next six to eight weeks is going to be a bit of a feeling out process. If Liverpool can keep that gap at four, City will still feel they've got a, a chance of winning it. But then there is the wild card, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is Tottenham. Now, at this point of the season, if someone had told me as a Tottenham fan that we'd have at least some say in the title race or some part to play, I'd be thinking they're absolutely mental if they told me that. Because if you, if you consider the start to the season that we had off the pitch, you know, stadium delays, um, lack of money and all that, to be where we are, it's, it's almost heroic, really. I mean... What is top of Tottenham's wish list? It's probably, in all fairness, to be just back in the new stadium before the end of the season. I mean, a recent further delay means that the fixture against Man United will be played at Wembley next week, which is unfortunate. Um, it's hopefully going to be the game to open the new stadium, which is frustrating, but at the same time, you think to yourself, it's probably not the worst thing in the world because, dare I say, for use of a better term, you probably want to play a smaller club and then sort of hopefully christen that new era with a win you know I don't think personally I'd want to play Man United at a new stadium they win the game and it's, you'll just remember oh, do you remember that time you built a brand new stadium lost in it you know especially with social media as it is it'd be an absolute nonsense so um, so yeah that might work out in our favour but after a fan familiarisation event that saw 6,000 lucky supporters have a tour of the South Stand I mean I've seen enough videos and photos to know it looks amazing I've got a season ticket I just want to use it now to be honest and I don't think we're going to be all that far away from, from coming home, so to speak. And if we are back next month, let's say February, just picking a date out of the air, it could be a real shot in the arm for our title hopes because if we can stay in the mix, let's say, you know, in that six, seven points bracket with the flip of home games being back in our favour, then you never know. You know, you just got to keep believing. It's not insurmountable. You know, even if City were 10 points clear, sorry, 10 points behind, should I say, it wouldn't be insurmountable in terms of a gap because... You know, there's still a lot of time. So if Spurs can stay in that six-point bracket and get home, then you, you just never know, do you really? But, I mean, our hopes of winning the title as Tottenham fans, as a club, they've got slightly, slightly more realistic after recent form. Admittedly, me and many other Spurs fans would have got carried away over the holidays. Um, you know, but yeah, we're in the title race. This is it. A mood that was definitely tempered after a surprise defeat to Wolves at home, which is a bit annoying. Um, but... I think just fatigue got the better of us there. I mean, what else can you do? It was, like I say, it's been a punishing Christmas schedule, not just for us, for everyone. And I think just in this day and age, to get four wins from four is a more Herculean effort. So it's just it's just frustrating. You know, what is more frustrating that had had we beaten Wolves, we'd only be four points behind Liverpool ourselves. But ifs and buts are the biggest words in football, aren't they? You know, if we won every league, every league game, then we'd be top of the table. Unfortunately, football doesn't work like that. So we are where we are. That's the card we've been dealt and we just have to hope we can sort of kick on in this uh, last stage of the season. Not only that, I guess the desire to win a trophy is great once more, especially as we find ourselves in the uh, Carabao Cup semi-finals against Chelsea, and they are the next team in our list. So Chelsea, there's no doubt that Eden Hazard's talents are you know, amazing, but at the same time, he cannot do all the work that's required for Chelsea to make sure they finish in the top four at the end of the season. What would undoubtedly aid him is a centre-forward that's firing on all cylinders, a brief that both Alvaro Morata and Olivier Giroud have failed to live up to this season and something that has, to be honest, stopped the Blues from being genuine title contenders because I think that ship has sailed now, in all fairness. S certainly after that 0-0 draw at home to Southampton, a result which not only drops two points, 
but it highlights just about everything that is wrong with Chelsea at the moment. I mean, now the question is whether Mauricio Sarri, and it's one he has to ask himself, is whether or not he deems it necessary to look into the January sales and look for attacking reinforcements. The only thing that might stop him is a lack of obvious candidates, to be honest, because they've said today, which is uh, Friday, that they're not going to be going for uh, Gonzalo Higuain. So after that, you're looking down the list and you're sort of thinking, well, at this point of the season, who really is available? And you'd have to sort of say there's no real obvious candidate because now the sort of talk is, do we call back Tammy Abraham? Which, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily a bad move. Um, it'd be good for him because then you know he's closer to be actually a bona fide Chelsea forward. But you know at the same time this is someone who didn't have a great season at Swansea. That admittedly is not all his fault because that was a poor Swansea side. Um, he's doing well in the Championship. But then you do get the feeling that perhaps playing in the Championship for clubs like Villa is more his level, and that's no disrespect to him. Then again, you could counter that by saying that um, you need Premier League minutes to be a real Premier League striker, something that he has had, but not enough so um, I think the only loser if he does go back to Stamford Bridge is Aston Villa really because I think it gives Chelsea an extra forward um, and then I guess you know someone else who can take the uh, the scoring burden off Eden Hazard if he can find the net I mean also don't forget you could apply that all that same logic to uh, Mitchy Batshuayi at Valencia but Sari has said that he's not prepared to call him back but then again he said the same about Abraham so you know, it's probably easy to call back Abraham, um, but Batshuayi is a great forward as well. But I think Chelsea have got themselves in a bit of a bind here. Now, although they've signed Christian Pulisic, obviously they can't make any use of him until next season, which by then you get the feeling the American international might just be a replacement for Eden Hazard. Um, that's not to say they can't work in the same team. Of course they can. Um, but, you know, I think Chelsea's... All their forwards, it just it looks lacklustre. Not only just Maratta and Giroud... You've got William and Pedro who just seem to be getting worse of each game. You know, age looks like it's catching up with them, which when you're wide forwards and you need that pace, um, it's a real game changer in your game. You know, if you've lost that extra yard, that ability to get past a fullback, then you are sort of doomed really and it's just diminishing returns thereafter. So it will be interesting to see what Hazard does, um, but you do get the slight feeling that it's Pulisic in, Hazard out. Um but not this month. It will be in the, in the summer. So let's stay in London and let's uh, let's go to the Gunners, the Arsenal, as their as we know their unbeaten streak, impressive as it may have been with their 400 draws against the top caliber Europa League opposition, has come to an end. Sorry, I'm being flippant, but obviously that came to an end recently against a uh, Southampton side, and it's one that again highlighted their deficiencies that this new look Arsenal side has. So <coughs> sorry, that being in defence as they shipped a Trio have headed goals at St Mary's. Now, admittedly, they did have a makeshift back three on display that afternoon, but it has shown that there's still work to be done in the red half of North London. You know, um, I don't think the back three sort of worked. I think it was more Uno Emery was in a bit of a bind there and sort of thought, well, you know, I've literally got, I've got about one and a half defenders. So if I play a back four, I'm still short. So I might as well go for a back three and muddle through it. It didn't work, um, but I think they've learned that the hard way. Um they're great in attack. We saw that against Fulham on a New Year's Day 4-1 win. There's no doubts how good they are in terms of quality there. It's just their defence. Uh, just like Chelsea new forward, Arsenal will be looking to the transfer window for potential additions but at the back end of the pitch. And again, it's a question of who's available in mid-season. And it is one that could be closer to home. Gary Cahill is looking for first-team football after being frozen out of Chelsea. Now, 
I don't have to confident they'll be finishing in the top four, especially now with the gap which is shortened between these two London clubs. And if Chelsea is struggling for firepower at the moment, at the same time, um, it does boost Arsenal's hopes, but then it also makes you think that Gary Cahill wouldn't be allowed to go to Arsenal. I know he's not a striker or anything, but like, um, I just don't think that Chelsea are sort of going to be willing to sell, even on loan, to a direct rival. I know they obviously let Petr Cech go to Arsenal, but that was a sort of good service measure. Well done, good behaviour, that kind of thing. Which I think, in fairness, they could have allowed Gary Cahill to do if there wasn't such a sizable, sorry, a small gap between the two clubs. If Chelsea were pushing more for the title and not looking over their shoulders in the race for fourth, then um, you probably could have seen Cahill swapping colours. But now, I think they'll be thinking, no, the last thing we want to do is make the Gooners stronger. So Cahill might be staying in Chelsea. Well, he'll be staying in West London, put it that way. And I'll reveal why later on. So <laughs> don't go anywhere, hey? Um, let's go now. To Manchester United, yes, the cliffhanger there, but yeah, it, it will make sense towards the end of the episode, put it that way. So, United, they'll probably be wishing that they sack their manager a lot sooner now. That's four wins from four at the time of writing. So he's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Well, he's obviously taken to the old traffic like a duck to water, isn't he? I mean, um, the question now is whether he can do enough to earn the job on a permanent basis. If he could win a trophy, or even snatch a very unlikely fourth place if he was to leapfrog both Arsenal and Chelsea, it would only solidify his case to get the job. At the same time, though, the rumour mill is obviously working overdrive at the moment. Obviously, it's linking names like Zinedine Zidane, uh, Tottenham boss Mauricio Pochettino. Uh, whether he wants the poison chalice that comes with the job is something that will be argued. Um, as, like I say, as a Tottenham fan, I hope not. Um, I mean, if we're competing for the league and they finish sixth, then you do have to sort of question why you'd want to make that demotion. I know you can argue about a big club until uh, the day you die and all that, but what is a big club? Is it history? Is it, you know the legacy that's been made or is it the here and now and what you can do in the future so that's again phone in call in um, if you want to uh, argue that one but uh, yeah I think whether Tottenham will uh, see Pochino move I, I don't know if I was a betting man which I am sometimes um, if he's going to go anywhere it'd be Real Madrid I don't think it'll be Man United so Spurs aren't in the clear by any means in terms of you know betting their manager down and making him stay for another season or however many more in terms of Man United I think you know four matches and admittedly they've been easier fixtures but Solskjaer has not only winning matches revived a, a flagging season but he's got players that actually want to play for him now you know Paul Pogba and his stupid dancing aside he actually looks like the, the player that they spent 89 million on so you know something is, is working it's, there is some sort of positive at Old Trafford the, the sands are shifting um, in the right direction so if he can get a trophy, you know, let's say, let's play devil's advocate. If Man United win the Champions League, that's a hell of a galvanising job that he would have done. And then that's something that there's no way that um, the board could then move him on. At the same time, though, that's exactly what Roberto Di Matteo did at Chelsea back in 2012. And then he was given the job the following season, but it's almost if he stayed on too long. It's as if the magic act that you've performed has then lost all its pizzazz it's well you know you sort of you've got a nucleus of players for three four months it's almost akin to like an international squad we just you're working with a group of players that's you know you can't really change you know that's your players there's nothing you can do all you've got to do is coach them to get the best out of them and then 
when you have to sort of tinker with that team and sort of remould it in the new season with a, with a whole season ahead of you, it's, it almost seems a harder job because you're almost starting with the expectations raised back up again. When you're at that sort of lower base level where a team's can only, where it can't really get much worse in the grand scheme of things, it's like, right, the only way we can go is up. It's easier to sort of build your players back up. So that's what Man United, I guess, will have to, to weigh up. I mean, obviously, this is a, a, not a ludicrous situation, but this is, you know, assume that Man United win the Champions League under the reign of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Stranger things have happened in football, but like I say, they might be sort of, they might be in a position where they <clears throat> hang on to him for too long and then they're in the same position come next January where they have to get another new manager or another interim, rinse, wash, repeat. So they'll have to be careful as to who they pick. It's a really big decision because, let's be honest, they've not got it right post-Fergie. We've had Moyes, Van Hal, Mourinho. So will the fourth time be the charm? Well, we will just have to wait and see on that one. Uh, where should we go next? Leicester, they're seventh now. Claude Puel is probably experiencing things of deja vu right now, as no matter what he does as manager of a Premier League club, it just doesn't seem to be one that wins over the fans, does it? I mean, his time at Southampton was one that saw the Saints finish 8th and also reach the EFL Cup during his only season in charge. However, that football was more functional and exciting and deemed not good enough for a long stay at St Mary's. You get the feeling that things could be heading the same way at the King Power Stadium, with Leicester at the lower reaches of that mid-table battle. Now, Peel's obviously a good enough manager to keep teams well clear of safety but his football doesn't really get the pulses racing so let's not forget at the moment Leicester lies 7th but just like the stock market in the middle of the table it's incredibly volatile two defeats you know your 12th where Leicester are now the 7th you know life is good but pure stock is high should you fall to the bottom of that pack the knives will be sharpening once more so it will be interesting to see if um, he does stay the season I know on the last episode I had uh, Lee Chappie, Leicester's second biggest celebrity football fan. Um, he was saying that at the moment there's a lot of pure out movement going on, uh, sort of at a grassroots level, admittedly. But you know, fan power does have a a voice. It's probably that voice that nudged him out of Southampton. So um, yeah, it'll be an interesting one. I mean, if they finish seventh and they get into the Europa League, then surely that exceeds expectations because what else could they have done this season? I mean, the top six is a lock in, really. Let's be honest. I mean, we'll have designs of breaking the glass ceiling that sort of phrase if you're any team between 7th and 13th but you know realistically that's never really going to happen as bad as Man United have been they're not really going to be dropping out of top 6 especially now with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer so um, what Leicester can do like any other team in that sort of window of clubs a good cup run but you know a good cup run is not winning the cup it's not the same really is it so maybe it is down to just trying to win the FA Cup finishing 7th and maybe that might just be enough to keep the manager in a job. Watford now. And Harry Gratcher has recently celebrated a new contract signing. He didn't celebrate. He didn't go out on the piss or anything like that. Um, he just signed it. But that's it. Yeah, basically he's got a new contract. But it's almost as if the work starts now for the Hornets. The simple reason being that they have, they always seem to have a terrible slump in the second half of the campaign. So it's something that's claimed the lives of many a Watford manager beforehand. So you've got, um, off the top of my head, Walter Matsari, Kike Sanchez-Flores, you know other managers they just they do seem to have a rotating door at Watford I mean it seems to work because they stay in the in the Premier League so it's not the uh, the worst idea in the world but as a sort of fan you sort of think okay where is this going long term you know we can't really put down foundations and grow as a club we can't really sort of build on this but to be fair he looks like the one manager Grazia who might just be 
able to fight off the slump because the Hornets currently find themselves 8th in the table. So, you know, a good cup run for them would be a welcome addition. I don't think there's necessarily the pressure to win the FA Cup. I don't think it's FA Cup or bust. But at the same time, Europa League football's not out of reach either because if they can leapfrog Leicester or if they can win a cup, the cup, shall I say, if the FA Cup, then they could be in Europe. So, um... If they get there, great, but then you do have to wonder, like any sort of team outside that top six uh, bracket, they then sort of they can't wait to get out of Europe quick enough because they feel that being in European competition is to the detriment of being or trying to stay in the Premier League, which is a, always a weird one. But um, yeah, I mean, if what Watford, I think, will be fine this season. They look better because they've arrested the slump early because usually it's sort of fifth or sixth by October and you can see a gradual decline, but they've they've held their own as we go into the new year. So I think they'll be fine. I think top half for them is, is a success. And if that success keeps Cratchit in the job, then they can start putting the building blocks down to progress next season. So I think the signs look good at Vicarage Road. The signs also look good at Molyneux, don't they? Because Nuno Espirito Santo will undoubtedly be delighted with the efforts of his players in the first half of the season, or just a little bit after the first half of the season. The aim now, though, is to make sure that they don't rest in their laurels um, when they reach, because they will, they'll reach that 40-point mark in terms of safety. Uh, to be honest, I don't think you'll even need 40 points this season. It'll probably be somewhere in the region of, sort of 36, 37. Quickly aside, but the 40-point sort of um, marker is also a myth, actually. I did some research recently, and it's a lot of the times you don't even need 40 points. So Wolves are almost probably there. I'd say about three or four more wins, and Wolves will be, you know, patting themselves on the back with a job well done. But like I say, it's not just saying we've arrived in the Premier League, it's how far can we go. So their objective is arguably changed since the start of the season. First, it was all about survival, you know, just, you know, even 17th, job well done. But now it is about trying to get into Europe, snatching what could be the last Europa League place on offer. Something they could even manage in the FA Cup because they face Liverpool on Monday. And this is going to be an interesting test for Liverpool because they'll be. They could be in a state of flux because they've lost their first Premier League game of the season. I know they've lost in the Champions League. It's not as if they've lost the first game of the season and it's still, oh no, we don't know how to deal with this. But with the magnitude of that game and the circumstances that came with it, you just think, okay, you know, how do we react? How do we bounce back? The focus is going to be on us even more. Um, again, does Jurgen Klopp think, do you know what? I don't, I don't really need the FA Cup this season, you know. Um, so is it a chance to rest key players knowing that they'll be kept fit? in terms of Premier League action, because let's be honest, Liverpool are probably one uh, big injury away from their season derailing. They've been very lucky in that sense, but I don't want to talk about Liverpool uh, too much, because obviously we're talking about Wolves, so let's part that thought. But, I mean, let's be honest, Wolves, they've been a real breath of fresh air this season, haven't they? And I say that through gritted teeth as a Spurs fan in our recent defeat, but, um, yeah, I mean, they've just been, I think, well, I think excellence is a fair term. You know, they've, They've been inconsistent, but when they are good, they're really good, if that makes sense. You know, when they play against the big teams, they are holding their own. So with the money that's been chucked at them, um, making a smooth transition to the Premier League is never a guarantee. Let's look at Fulham, and we'll do that later on. But, you know, just because you spend X amount of million, it doesn't mean you're going to be guaranteed Premier League survival. But they've made their return to the top flight look incredibly easy. Now, it's a case of whether that club can sort of break the glass ceiling, not just sort of once, but really be, I guess, a permanent member. Will that big six become a big seven because you know a lot of teams have tried it and it's not by um, by fluke that it's not happening you know you've got six excellent Premier League clubs so Wolves I think they set themselves a target of winning the title in 10 years if this is the trajectory after one season don't rule it out 
So if you listen to the uh, Real Football cast in the year 2028, I just want to say I told you so. All right. Now, moving on. West Ham. So the Hammers, they had a nightmare start to the campaign, didn't they? And one that was had a lot of people asking whether or not Manuel Pellegrini was really the man to replace David Moyes at the London Stadium. Because David Moyes did a good job. Again, not not exciting football, not exhilarating, not going to get the pulses racing. But at that time, West Ham just needed a firefighter, didn't they? They needed someone to keep David Moyes, not to keep David Moyes up. He's not sort of like weekend at Bernie's. But, you know, they just needed someone to keep West Ham up. And um, Moyes did exactly that. I guess it was a case of thanks for all the efforts, but we need to move on now. So, um, like I say, at the start of the season, it was like, oh, I don't know, this might be the wrong decision. But Pellegrini's making a mockery of those doubters now as the East London outfits are in the top half of the Premier League table at the time of writing. So, they're in a position where they can afford, I guess, to start looking up the table rather than over it um, or over their shoulders. The one thing they are going to be want to make sure, though, is that they, they're always played by injuries. You never sort of know when West Ham are going to be fully fit. If they could be fully fit and have their full strength team, which I don't think they've even had this season at all, really, although I can't remember it, then they'd be pushing closer to sort of seventh because it's not that far away. But perhaps they're just a little too inconsistent this season to really threaten for a European place. You get the feeling that, like Moises football last season, it's going to be solid, if not spectacular, over the next few months. Um, I know Felipe Anderson has been a fantastic signing. Um, the worry, I guess, there for West Ham fans is that if he keeps scoring the goals, then with a natural hierarchy of football, then that um, move up into a top six club could be uh, something that happens in the summer. You know, we've seen it so many times before. Um, you look at even Dimitri Payet. I know he didn't go to a big Premier League club, but his ego got too big after sort of doing a great job for West Ham. They couldn't keep him. So they'll have to sort of think, you know, be good, but don't be too good. But at the same time, I think West Ham fans just need a little bit of stability, a bit of continuity. So if they finish 10th this season... I don't think you'll have many arguments or complaints for the West Ham fans because it's just, you know, another season of Premier League action will await them next time around. And I think, again, like Watford, if they can sort of start just building blocks, I mean, whether Pellegrini is the right, I don't know, yeah, whether he's the right man to be at the club long-term, what with his age, it's not being ageist, but he's not going to have a 15-year stint in East London, is he? I mean, due to the age he is. But, um, but yeah, I mean, again, if they can sort of just keep doing things in the right direction, get the fans on board again after what's been a tumultuous period. Um, you know, look at last season with those uh, pitch protests. And I think just just stay out of the limelight and I think they'll be fine. So, Everton. Now into the second half of the table now. So, we're, we're halfway. And Everton, something of a transitional series, season this time around. Majority shareholder Farhad Mashiri will be hoping that the current man at the Goodison Park Helm is one that can lead them to a prolonged period of success. Again, it's all about building blocks, stability, long term. So, for Everton this season, whether that success is measured by the Toffees earning a first piece of silver since 1995 when they won the FA Cup, or it's just an improvement on last season's position under um, Ronald Koeman and Sam Allardyce, you know, that was, well, yeah, a firefighter's job after Koeman took them completely in the wrong direction of the table. Allardyce steadied what was a shipwreck, but, you know, a forgettable season. So Everton needs, they have to improve on that. But if Everton could win the FA Cup, then it would mean, I guess, a job well done for Marco Silva in his first full season of Premier League management. At the same time, though, they simply cannot afford to be lying 11th for too much longer. You know, this is a club that's chucked a lot of money. Uh, again, I mentioned that glass ceiling. They just can't break it, can they? You know, I know they had one season uh, recently under Roberto Martinez when they finished uh, fifth, was it? Yes, and then they finished fourth um, in that season where Liverpool won the European Cup, which is in 2005. 
but since then it's been you know there's little to write home about and this is a club which back at that period when they were finishing above Liverpool in the Premier League you know that's a club that was sort of deemed I guess bigger than Tottenham although at least they were on parallels with the same kind of dream and it's almost as if Tottenham have slowly but surely getting to where they want to be you know they're nearly that that last step Everton seem to be sort of almost sort of going backwards so um, yeah it's an interesting time for Everton I mean as I mentioned with Leicester the mid-table does have a habit of being so volatile so you know if you look into the stock market shares in Marco Silva are very low at the moment but you know he needs to make sure he hasn't been a bad investment because if he can get get up to seventh get back into the Europa League you know you think okay it's not it's not the worst job in the world and it's probably par for Everton want to be but if they could win the FA Cup which is going to be you know there'll be outsiders to win it in the grand scheme of things I don't think you'd sort of be making them red hot favourites to win the trophy but at the same time I think they've just got to improve that league position because they shouldn't I mean no one's got any right to be anywhere in the Premier League but really they shouldn't be behind the likes of Watford and Wolves at the moment should they I'll leave that one with you Bournemouth now now it's pretty obvious that the Cherries and what they'd like for the new year that is a return to winning ways especially after losing 8 of the last 11 league outings now I quite I guess it's quite a wide sort of scope. That's like looking at a team at the bottom table and saying, you've lost 18 of your last 28, but Bournemouth have just been in a, a bad run. There's no cause of concern, though. I think it's just a case that the, the fixed computer has been incredibly unkind to Bournemouth as of late. It's not a real fixed computer. It's just a man in an office somewhere. But, um, yeah, I mean, they've had a tough tough run of fixtures and they've more often than not come out on the worst side. I mean, they've not been embarrassed in any way with like, heavy defeats. Tottenham aside, actually. Yeah, I'm doing myself a disturbance there. But apart from that, it's been sort of Two ones, three ones, although they were thumped at Wembley. But at the same time, they're a club that's, again, in that mid-table bracket, albeit at the, the bottom end of it. And they could still realistically finish anywhere between 7th and 13th. So now that the South Coast outfit are an established Premier League outfit, they'll have eventual designs on reaching Europe. And it might well be a dream that's not realised for a couple more seasons um, because, again, like they need to be more consistent. Um, and it's also one... It will probably be aided by a move away from the Vitality Stadium because you look at um, the capacity of what I don't know, eleven thousand give or take. You you have to be really, really punched above your weight to then get into European football. I mean, I know a stadium doesn't define who you are as a club, but not only that, from a revenue point of view and the, the money it could bring. So if they can finally get to a, a bigger stadium and sort of bed themselves in, in the Premier League, um, you know, if they were sort of finishing in around fifteenth, seventeenth be a bit of a gamble because you could build a new stadium then get relegated and you're left with a bit of a white elephant like um, you know so many clubs have done before like Coventry there's a good example um, Sunderland I know that wasn't immediate but look at them in League 1 with a huge 46,000 seat stadium so you have to be careful to you know build it at the right time I'm not going to say Tottenham are going to get relegated after building their stadium but um, yeah I think if they can build a new stadium and keep Eddie Howe in the job it's going to be um Difficult. I think it'd be easier to build a new stadium than it is to keep Eddie Howe on a job, to be honest. Again, that, a lot depends on what happens in the summer in terms of up the football hierarchy. We look at Felipe Anderson could be moving up the chain. I think this summer, if things happen above Eddie Howe, then it might be the time. But then again, you could argue, what's he done in the Premier League? You know, um, Is survival enough to be given a big job? You know, I guess that's what goes against you as an English manager. You can only really get the jobs in that middle to lower bracket and do as best a job you can. Um, but yeah, I think Bournemouth... Again, they'll be fine. I don't think they're um, going to have too much concern. A good start to the season has absorbed 
this bad run to a certain degree. If they can get out the other side of it, I know they drew three all in midweek. If they, the signs are there, but their defence is a little bit leaky. If they can just shore that up, they've got goals. They'll be they'll be fine. I think they'll be where they are now, and I think that'll be a par for them. So staying on the south coast, we now go to. Brighton and for the Seagulls it's about how much football they can squeeze out of Glenn Murray between now and the end of the season because the talisman is making a mockery of father time at the moment as he continues to terrorise opposition defences although admittedly he hasn't really scored that much that often if he has if he has I can't remember but at the same time regardless he can't lose he can't last forever can he um, and I think Brighton will have to be mindful of that especially as Chris Hewitt will be managing his minutes um, if Murray's at full fitness then he'll be an important player in Brighton as they look to just just keep their distance between that and the sort of lower bracket of teams they've just got a healthy enough gap at the moment but they need to just just get like a, a win every other game or you know just keep getting points on the board and I think they'll they won't be sort of dragged into that real battle so again you know for a team that is in their second season uh, second season syndrome is a phrase that we use all too often in the Premier League and it's one that's been sort of debunked really it only happens only nine teams I've actually fallen foul of that. So thankfully for Brighton, they're not really showing any serious symptoms and I don't think they're going to sort of a cop a, a deadly dose of that. So they'll be they'll be in the Premier League come August for a third uh, successive season, no doubt about that. So you can have that guaranteed. Crystal Palace now. And Roy Hodgson, he'll be undoubtedly wishing for a new striker in January as he looks for the goals that are required to keep the Eagles soaring above the bottom three. They recently un- ended their unwanted streak of losing every match in which Wilfred Zaha doesn't feature. And what a way to do it against Man City. I mean, there's a coupon buster. Would anyone have had that on loser pool? Do you know what? If they did, they're a liar because that just wouldn't have wouldn't have happened. Anyway, I digress. Good name drop though. So, um, yes, for, for Palace, they may have ended that streak, but they can't keep relying on just the Ivorian winger to get them out of a bind. Um, like Chelsea and Hazard, you need to have more about you. So, Palace, Christian Benteke, Jordan Ayew, Alexander Soloff. It's turning into a far long list of foul forwards at Selhurst Park. A lot of Fs there, a lot of alliteration. I know Ayew scored in midweek, so at least he's got that goal drought monkey off his back, so to speak. But, um, yeah, the return hasn't been enough for any of those three. And they, I mean, they're doing all right at the moment, but I don't think they can rely on just that. The question now is, is there a hero waiting in the wings? Um, if there is, then he won't necessarily be cheap. Um, I think Palace are going to have to spend money. I mean, I know a move for Dominic Solanke fell through the other day because he needs to be sort of fit and round to go. They could have loaned him and got him in, but I don't think he was fit until like February. So you sort of then loan the player, which isn't going to feature for another month. And I think Palace need an impact here and now. So they believe diverting their attention to Umar Nias, the forgotten Everton forward. Uh, for a price of about six and a half million, so maybe it will come cheap. Is he the man? I don't know. Sometimes you get these second half of the season signings that turn into absolute stars, don't they? I think Nias is—he's got glimpses of goals in him. I know when he was actually, I'm sorry, when he was actually given minutes at Everton last season, he did find the net on a couple of occasions. So it might not be the worst move. Everton will take a hit on the money they spent on him. He's not lived up to the promise at all, really. But then again, was he ever really given a chance? So it could be a move that suits both parties and it might just be the difference between Palace uh, beating the drop or going down. And it's the same that you could say about Newcastle. Unfortunately for them, though, they don't have someone waiting in the wings to be their hero. So what Rafa Benitez would do for some funds, eh? In fairness to the Liverpool, for former Liverpool manager, I should say, he's doing an excellent job still working with a shooting budget that's, I guess he's almost 
begrudgingly been uh, afforded at Newcastle. I mean, money's probably not going to be forthcoming this month. Um, we always hear about the new owner that's going to be taking over at Newcastle. Um, something that's happened one too many times before, and I don't think Newcastle fans are even getting excited about the uh, return of this rumour because, you know, once bitten, twice shy and all that. Yeah, I just don't think it's really going to happen. So if a deal was to miraculously, miraculously be completed in the next few weeks, then the new owners quite simply have to back Benitez in the transfer market. But you do get the feeling that it's, that might even come around too late. Like I just, It's either a new owner comes in and it's not in time or Ashley is still at the helm and he doesn't give him the funds. When you consider that Benitez is arguably the greatest asset that Newcastle have right now, it's one they cannot afford to lose. So um, if they can stay up, I guess... It would be a miracle, just like Benita said. And I think at that point, that is the point where Benita says, you know what, I'm done. Because I've, you know, two two seasons in the Premiership breaking my balls. I've got you out of the Championship. You know, I've got you in the top flight. What else can I do? Please give me some money. Like, it's just, it's awful, really. Like, you'd almost feel sorry for Benita. He's a, he's a good man. He's a great manager. He just needs some money. And I think, you know, we talk about big clubs. Um, Newcastle, they're a big club in waiting, I mean, they were a big club 20 years ago, and it's just what happens when you don't invest. You know, teams put the money in, they go up. Newcastle, you know, they've they've reached the uh, the depths of the championship. And admittedly, they're you know, not there anymore, but it just goes to show, if you're not backing the team financially, it can be a lot, lot worse. And it could be a lot, lot worse for Burnley. They're at the bottom three now. And um, I guess Sean Dyche is probably wishing that the club never went on those European exploits, um, because it's just... It's upset the equilibrium of the East, East Lancashire outfit, hasn't it? I mean, admittedly, it was a fair few months ago since they were knocked out of the Europa League by Olympiacos. And although it's probably not the root cause, things aren't great at Turf Moor this season. I mean, they were thumped at home to Everton over Christmas. I mean, they bounced back slightly after, after that. But, um, yeah, I mean, last season's success was underpinned by a defensive bedrock, something that's been far from the case this time. Before Christmas, they'd already conceded 33 goals. I mean, if they can shore up their back line, which they're making strides to do they're, they should have a greater chance of staying up but they're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination and I think you know what will help is if Nick Pope stays in goal because I think Joe Hart is just um, I think he's done as a top level goalkeeper I think you know obviously Burnley's defence hasn't been great but I just don't think it's really working for him anymore he, talk, he talks good games doesn't he but um, yeah his, his performances have been pretty much woeful for Burnley and I think he will be uh, bench warming for the foreseeable Cardiff now, and Neil Warnock will be hoping that he can bottle the Bluebirds' recent impressive home form, especially when you consider that they've picked up just five points on the road this season. Now, their fans have been a genuine 12th man at times this season, and their contribution to Cardiff's role hopes is certainly not one that can be understated. However, at the same time, the men representing the club on the pitch will have to roll up their sleeves also. If they do start, it will be courtesy of their home form, and you know they won't have been the only club to have done that, but at the same time, life would be a lot easier for Neil Warnock and Cardiff fans they could pick up a win or two in the process. I mean, I know they got one against Leicester recently, but, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day, so they just need to make sure that's not a win in isolation. And, um, yeah, I mean, again, it's all about points on the board, but it's not just points on the board when you're that low. It's it's really wins, the difference, which is exactly the scenario that Southampton faced themselves in because the work has started for Ralph Hoosenhartel. Was it Hartenhutel? I do struggle with those foreign names. Um, got that first Premier League win while in charge of the Saints over Arsenal. Um, then followed that up with a win over Huddersfield, I believe it was. Uh, you know, Southampton, they've always been capable of playing decent football. They just lost their way under Mark Hughes and also under Mauricio Pellegrino. At the same time, though, it looks like the appointment of the energetic Austrian 
could prove to be a masterstroke, you know, if they stay up, that is. Um, one issue they've been blighted with this season is the fact they struggle for goals. Hopefully, no. With um, with both Danny Ings and Charlie Austin, if they can stay fit, that should pull them clear of the bottom three. However, even with a goalless draw against Chelsea um, in midweek, they slip down into the relegation zone once more. So it just goes to show, like I say with Cardiff, just goes to show how important wins are because it's all about, you know, you can't really afford to take small strides. You need to be taking giant leaps and Southampton need to be taking those giant leaps further up the table. So, um, yeah, I mean, they're in a relegation battle but they're better suited to fight it than they were a few weeks ago under the deadly doom which was Mark Hughes. And uh, where next? Fulham. And Mark Hughes, um, one of his last games, or was it his last game, when he lost to, uh, to Fulham, that was probably the definite, wasn't it? Because Claudio Ranieri's men um, have been generous enough this season to give 47 goals this season in the Premier League. Now, admittedly, not all of them have come, un- come under Ranieri's relatively short tenor at Craven Cottage. But at the same time, that new manager bounce that so often hoped, if not expected, is sort of yet to materialise um, for the team that won the Championship playoffs last season. I mean, he's doing a, a decent job. He's not sort of disgracing himself on here in any way. But, um, of course, there's no doubt that Fulham have a lot of decent attacking talent. If it was better, or if, if that attacking talent, talent was sharper, then um, they could have almost got something against Arsenal. Such as the ludicrous nature of that game. It could have been like 7-5. But if Fulham, you know, just took their chances when they had them, could have been a lot closer, if not even a point. But it is what it is. For their endeavour up front, they've been massively let down by their defensive counterparts. So, you know, um, something that's going to have to change in this new year and on- onwards if they're going to have any hopes of avoiding relegation. They're off the bottom now, but they're still four points from safety. And that means there's still a lot of work for the Cottagers to do. The question now remains is whether Ranieri will be able to create another Premier League fairy tale in keeping Fulham up. He might be able to do that, though, if he can get, wait for it, Gary Cahill on loan. Yes, the cliffhanger. I told you, thanks for investing your time and staying on this late in the show because Gary Cahill looks closer to going to Fulham than he does Arsenal. Like I say, Gary Cahill will probably be allowed to move because of good service, good behaviour, you know, as a servant to the club, well done. But like I say, I don't think Chelsea are going to want to make Arsenal stronger if it dents their own hopes of qualifying for the Champions League. So, with that in mind, I think they'll, they'll allow him to go to Fulham for those sort of reasons. So, if they can get Cahill a man who's sort of been there, done the lot, then that could be a real masterstroke and that could be um, a real boost for their survival hopes in these next few months. Obviously, three teams have to go down and one of them looks like it's going to be Huddersfield because it's clearly obvious that David Wagner would love a striker in January because the top goal scorer at the moment is Mateusz Jorgensen, the defender. Now, that's not the most damning indictment of the Huddersfield forwards. However, when you consider that Jorgensen has scored just three goals, it's apparent that they need to be a lot, lot better in the final third. 21 games the Terriers have played this season in the Premier League. They've scored just 13 goals. And if you extrapolate that across the course of a campaign, you're looking at just 23 goals scored. A statistic that almost screams relegation in the face. One that's even louder, I guess, when you consider that the club have lost their last eight league matches. It's fair to say that things are looking incredibly bleak for the Yorkshire outfit. And that, I hope, I don't want to end on a bleak note, is about the end of this episode. Yes, so I've gone through the Premier League wish list. Um, where are we in terms of um, my life? Uh, well, it's the FA Cup weekend, which actually means there's no loser pool um, picks required this week. You can you can enter the pool, but there's nothing actually happening this weekend. So I think you can preempt it for next week's picks. So you can either race in early, or you could um, take your time to do some research. Because like I say, a thousand pounds 
good odds, even better if you uh, if you enter. So um, don't delay, join and play. There you go. Uh, let's have uh, that as our new slogan for 2019. I like it. But uh, yeah, I'll be back on uh, Tuesday, another Tuesday recording with JS, my main man JS. We're going to be uh, getting an overview of what's happened over Christmas in the Premier League. Like I say, there's just been so much football, isn't there? Uh, too much to really sort of hammer down one podcast. So it just made sense to sort of summarise everything that's happened. Otherwise, you know, it'd just be a podcast every sort of two or three days. And as much as I love podcasting, you'd probably be sick of me as well. So, so on that bombshell, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network.